Hello, and welcome to What We've Learned, another episode from Series 3. Series 3 brought to you by Shane and Steve, and leaders and pioneers. And Shane, we have another brilliant guest today, don't we? We do indeed, yes. Super excited about today. Super excited about who, Shane? Let's talk oh, about who we've got. So, Gemma Davis is joining us all the way from sunny California. And the reason I'm very excited about Gemma is because she was voted B2B Marketer of the Year in 2019. Um, but she's now Head of Global Account-Based Marketing and has responsibility also as Customer Experience Engagement for ServiceNow. The really interesting thing, and you might not be able to tell this from what she goes on to talk about, but actually Gemma's rise has been somewhat meteoric since she graduated from Reading in consumer behaviour and marketing in 2010. Wow, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, do you know, Shane, I had the pleasure actually of presenting that uh, B2B Marketing Person of the Year Award in 2019. Um, and I, like you, and I'm sure as everyone's going to hear, it's fascinating brilliant inspiring person Gemma and has done an awful lot uh, in quite a short time with an awful lot more to come so not only a chance to talk about well how did she end up in California what's that like how did she end up in ABM how did she end up in service now and how did she go from that degree to where she is in her position in her career so lots and lots to to learn from Gemma so without further ado let's listen to Gemma Davis Well, welcome, Gemma. It's a real pleasure to have you today and from quite a long way away. Where in the world are you joining us from? Yeah, Shane, thanks so much for having me. So despite the British accent, I am here live in California uh, in the United States. So it's a real, real pleasure to be here. And what took you to California? How have you ended up in your career based out on the West Coast? Honestly, it's been um, it's been a, a dream for a very, very long time. And, and thanks to the incredible career defining opportunities that I've had here at ServiceNow back in March 2020, I officially made the move. Um, ironically, to be in California based locally in the office with my team out here. Unfortunately, I didn't make it officially into the office, but virtually it's been great to be on the time zone uh, in such a beautiful part of the world. I mean, just being able to not only wake up to sunshine, but just be able to get outside and go hiking despite everything going on in the world. It's been a great way to help me balance uh, priorities and, and find a good balance at work as well. And the bonus is to still be close by to the team on the time zones as well. You can go off people, can't you? As, as I sit here in a grey and miserable part of the UK listening to that, that uh, I could hike through the rain to the shops and back. Um, listen, it's it's not been just a kind of jump in there. You've, you've, over the last few years, you've been travelling an awful lot. So you've probably had a feel for where you were going to land, uh, Gemma. But before we get into that, I wonder if we can rewind back because it's been a really fascinating journey. And why we wanted to talk to you today is, you know, where this all started from. So if I can kind of cast your mind back to... Where did this marketing and your love to marketing born? Was it in your first job? Was it before that? When did this feel like this was the journey and the path for me? Yeah, that's a great, great question, Steve. Oh, to reflect 
For me, I actually entered marketing by chance rather than choice. Um, Originally, I had my heart set on becoming a clinical psychologist, but that was before realizing that it would take an extra seven years of education and studying, which was definitely not something um, that I enjoyed as much as as others. Um, But I knew that I was always fascinated by human behavior and, and why people do what they do. Um, and landed some great work experience actually in the tech sector, uh, which really gave me some insights into not only the the working world and working environment, but also gave me my first experience of a boardroom. And just being in that room, hearing the types of conversations that were happening, the focus on how we could help customers and and do things differently to drive uh, bigger outcomes and, and success just really inspired me. And honestly, it was the time in that boardroom and the reflection that night that made me realize that tech is where I wanted to be and, and marketing was, was really where uh, I had a, a place in my heart that I wanted to, to explore more. And that sort of led me down a, a marketing and consumer behavior uh, course at university. Um, with additional uh, work experiences and, and all sorts of different things. And, and that's really where it's grown from, to be honest. That's really interesting, isn't it? I think lots of us love our roles in, in marketing because, as you say, that, that element of, of human behaviour. And you were lucky enough to get that insight early enough that you could change your modules, um, which is interesting. It's not, not everybody that doesn't always happen. So, so you've got a passion for something you could see there as a career opportunity, obviously, you know, tech starting to boom and marketing an important part of that. So, so what happened then? How did you go about sort of getting your foot in the door to starting your career path? Yeah, well, during my, my three years at university, it was actually my landlord who at the time was a very successful marketing leader in the tech space, who happened to forward me an email from uh, Clive McNamara from my first agency, who was the founder and CEO, who was looking for uh, ambitious early career talent. Um, And from that email, I went from my first interview to really enter agency sides, focusing on providing marketing programs, um, events, ABM, all all the kind of full funnel activities into some of the largest and most complex technology brands. And it was truly fascinating. I I still remember to this day going into the local sweet shop in the village that the agency was in and they uh, asked us to put together a plan for how we were going to sell sweets in the village to uh, all the all the local children um, and apparently it was my inquisitive questioning of the shopkeeper that sealed the deal for my first I guess official job in marketing um, with the marketing practice. And, and that was the account exec is that right in terms of working with them uh, and, and just that I try not to age you Gemma but that was quite a few years ago because you've just referenced ABM and a whole bunch of techniques that I think it's probably fair to say back then you were doing but may not have been labeled as they are today and we'll come on I'm sure back to ABM because you're such a well-known person in that space but it was an account exec job looking at marketing or were you doing the classic account exec of actually someone else's marketing I'm just literally account handling here how marketing focused was that first role or those first few roles for you? 
Yeah, I was deep in it. And, and you're spot on, Steve. We were, we were doing account-based marketing. We just weren't calling it account-based marketing in those days. Uh, my first two big, uh, I guess, programs agency side, one was leading an executive engagement uh, relationship program with Xerox. So getting to travel around the world, running leadership uh, activities and thought leadership uh, with their C-suite team, which was truly fascinating and really gave me a taste for this international marketing experience and looking at how do you translate a vision and a marketing strategy and make it super relevant for those areas. And then on the other side was um, working with Canon on account-based marketing and kind of wind flow mapping. And I never forget going to a Christmas concert of all things and seeing these Canon cameras. And I just felt so proud to work with a brand and partner with a brand on driving great outcomes, whether it was their managed print services or, or their cameras, all the great things that they did. It just, it was the first time that I'd really experienced this moment of being truly connected to brands and, and knowing that the work that I was doing was actually really making a difference in the business. And I was super proud to, to be able to share that. And when I look back at those two different programs, despite the fact neither of them were called account-based marketing, they absolutely embraced a lot of the principles, which was insight-led uh, strategic programs where we were super focused on how do we drive outcomes and success for a very small number of very strategic accounts? How do we make ourselves relevant? And, and how do we help take them through that kind of sales cycle um, so that they can be successful in their pursuits, delivering to their business outcomes, not just ours. Um, and it was fascinating. I learned so much in that time. Uh, lots of great advice. One of the best ones that I still reference to my team today is about kind of uh, assumption is the root of all screw ups, let's say. <laughs> Uh, never assume anything. It's a very podcast-friendly uh, way of putting it for us. Thank you. Were, yeah, no problem, no problem. Um, but honestly, that is something that came really from my second week at work. So officially being a paid marketer to being something that I hold close today and I constantly reiterate in everything that I do. Like, are we... Are we making assumptions about things? If we are, let's go validate, let's go check, let's never assume anything in anything that we do. Um, and it's been some of the best advice I've ever had. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it is, it's really hard to leave your assumptions behind. Or as I love the fact you, you say, well, at least go, let's go and test them. Let's go and find the insight. Let's see if you like the gut feel can be validated. But I'm interested to know and it's it's fascinating Gemma that you you from a very early um stage were involved in international because I think one of the things that I found also working internationally is that it actually really helps because when you're working with others from different cultures different teams they automatically bring different assumptions which allows you to challenge yours so do you see that as perhaps as a, as a positive or does that actually just make it all more challenging Depends on your mindset, I, I think, Shane. I've always been uh, a glass half full kind of thinker. I've tried to embrace every opportunity thrown at me. And what I loved about the ability and the, the opportunity to uh, not only work agency side where you're truly exposed to a number of different problems, a number of different stakeholders, but when you couple that with this international perspective and viewpoint, 
you're kind of on this excessively steep learning curve constantly. And that's not for everyone, but at that stage in my career where I was very passionate about what I was doing, I have always been super curious about anything that surrounds me, having the opportunity to really be at the hub and the center of actually how does this resonate in different geographies in different languages how can this be applied what can I learn from this meant I was just constantly infused with creativity and and different ways of doing things that honestly really helped me accelerate my career very early on in in my journey Um, and meant that although that growth uh, kind of steep was excessively high at the same time I was kind of thriving because it was helping me Uh, stay curious, learn new things, kind of stay motivated to um, always be learning and and always be trying to do something new and and different. Um, I miss that sometimes. I feel like as we uh, go into our careers and we start to specialize, we get known for one thing. And it's funny, over the last six months, um, anyone internally who works with me will hear me say, remember, I was a marketer before an ABMer, so I can bring uh, a, a complete marketing perspective to some business problems as well, not just an, an ABM one. But honestly, the, the experience to be able to see new things, try new things, to, to learn in environments where you're really on your toes and you're being exposed to lots of different things in lots of different ways was so exciting and is again one of the things that I tell a lot of the interns and graduates and co-ops that we sponsor through uh, service now is go and try things use these years early in your career to see everything to get an opportunity to experience everything so that you can decide what are the things you're most passionate about what are the things that you enjoy doing the most and focus in those areas because we spend so much time at work. It's important to do something that we love with people that we really enjoy working with. That's really good advice in terms of that fail fast, but and, and find your passion as well, Gemma. And it's clear actually just talking to you now, but Shane and I are lucky enough to know you quite a while that you, you know you found that passion. You've also, and, and I just wonder back to, even back pre-university, you're, you did the International Baccalaureate and that obviously slightly different way of, of education for 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 the UK anyway and couple that with that consumer um, consumer centered degree in terms of the insights of how consumer behavior happens I wonder if those to Shane's point you know that international mix of people gives you different cultures and different views so it almost feels inevitable that you're going to travel because you've been set up that way you've got that in your bag that consumer behavior so how people tick not just the people we need to target, but the ones you work with as well. And you've always been excellent in terms of engaging different people from different worlds, you know, when you work with them. But but I wonder whether that consumer behavior, does that, does that transfer easily into the B2B world? Because that's been your career around business to business. Do, do you think the market, and I'm asking you this long-winded question, but with your judging hat on as well, because you've spent many years judging B2B marketing awards as, as a client side person, as we'll come on to, do you think B2B naturally gets that consumer behavior bit, i.e. they see consumers or people within businesses? Or is there still too much of actually assumption because it's a business, right? And a business just operates like other businesses. Where do you see that landscape these days in terms of how smart or how insight driven B2B has become? Yeah, I mean, that is the, the million dollar question right now. I think over the past 10 years, we've really seen B2B become 
the cool, trendy, kind of sexy area of marketing that B2C was once in, in the lead over. I think what we've each realized now within the B2B space is that insight is, is king. Um, because of the nature of the long and complex B2B sales cycles, certainly in the space where, where I play, um, it's important that we're relevant. It's important that we leverage this insight to create that relevance in everything that we do, which is what makes it interesting because our buyers are humans too. They could be mums, dads, brothers, sisters, cousins, etc. We We see them as executives within a big company with a responsibility to procure some software or a service, but then we forget that they're, they're human too. They have interests, likes, values, and, and beliefs. And when we can couple that insight with their own individual motives, that's where we see the real magic happen. And, and that's really, I'd say over the last three years in particular, it's become even more exciting to be in B2B because the insight, the tools, the technologies that we have available to us means that we can be relevant and we can be exciting and we can do uh, cool and fun things like our friends over in the B2C world. Um, and that's been a, a real evolution uh, for us. And the ones that have been ahead of the curve have been way more successful than those that are still trying to catch up now, which is why I think all of a sudden there's this real push for account-based marketing, account-based programs, because everyone realizes that that insight and that relevance is really the thing that differentiates you in the market. And if you can, as I say, tie that with someone's individual values and beliefs and uh, understand how this is not only going to impact them professionally, but personally, that in itself is a, a true multiplier for success. And we're seeing it, we're seeing the results from it and, and we continue to continue to kind of reap the benefits from it. But most importantly, for our own customers, you think about um, executives in, in the B2B space and the number of suppliers they have reaching out to them. They want a supplier they can trust. They want suppliers who they enjoy doing business with, a bit like how we enjoy working together. And so bringing that consumer behavior perspective into the B2B marketplace is, is so important and is critical and ultimately is going to be what defines those who are going to be successful as business-to-business uh, -business evolves and, and those that are going to be left behind because they couldn't keep up with the competitive advantage. I think it's fascinating, isn't it, Gemma? I think people are starting to talk about already you know, this period in all of our lives as sort of the pre-pandemic, pre post-pandemic, and there's starting to be some quite interesting articles published coming out of sort of academia as well about organisational change and how there will be some fundamental shifts already happened for all of us, you know, in terms of what you explained right at the beginning about the way you worked, you didn't go into the office in your new job, but you are actually in the same geography to enjoy the time zones. But is that something you think is going to fundamentally change the sort of insight and the sort of insight you need to understand the organisation response? Because I, I suspect we're going to see very different geographical organisation responses, but mm. also we're going to see very different, to your point, than human responses. So you, your levels of insight and the, the depth that we might need are going to be quite different I think to what we've used before perhaps even some of the data points are you starting to look at that Gemma? 
Yeah, absolutely. It, it is so key and critical. Um, what we've all seen is that our audience are becoming more savvy, more diverse, more informed. They want experiences they don't just want to be talked to. And originally we could communicate to them to an area where we knew they were, i.e. their workplace. Now that we're not all sitting in our workplaces in our traditional areas, um, is creating uh, challenges for marketers and will continue to, to do so, which is why it's even more important now that as marketers, we really focus on value and outcomes so that we can be meaningful and valuable to those that we are trying to reach and, and trying to engage with so that they want to meet in, and engage with us in their own environments, whether that be working from a coffee shop, working from home, working from their closet at home, or in fact, when it's safe to do so, going back into an office environment, we need to truly align to the buying behaviors and, and the everyday behaviors of the executives we're trying to reach. And we need to be understanding. Um, I think it's been fascinating looking at even the trends of attending virtual events and being Zoomed out. I mean, in a world where the last 12 months, we haven't had the ability to be empowered to sometimes make our own decisions about what we want to do in a day or how we want to go about a day. So it's even more important now that through our own sales and marketing life cycles that we give people choice, that we make sure everything we're saying to them is, is relevant and we give them the choice to how they want to engage and move forward with it. Uh, there's nothing worse than receiving a generic email that's kind of saying, hey, because you're someone I trust, I think you might like this, or hey, do you want to buy these lists, or da 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 da, da. like it's, it's irrelevant. Um, it is so important that we take the time to understand the motives for each other, that we tailor everything that we do, um, and that we be really respectful of people's time as well, especially now that we are balancing multiple uh, hats at home in the office. Um, there was a great quote the other day that it's not that we're working from home, it's that kind of works now at home with us. So even trying to figure out how we balance that ourselves psychologically um, is still a pivotal point for us just as human beings, let alone as, as marketers or buyers. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be fascinating. And I, I cannot wait to see the research over the next kind of two to six to 12 months to really look at how those buying behaviors are changing and, and how we create those kind of psychologically safe um, moments for those in the workplace and then how we respond to that as as marketers. And, and Gemma, to that, it's fascinating, isn't it? I wonder, just because of your, you know, we, we've talked about your career today, and, and, and I don't want to skip over it, but you, you've now, as you've articulated a few times, you're, you're now working in a client-side organisation and been so for five or six years or so, or that's the next wave of your career. And you're over in California, so started over over in the UK, over in California, the US. Do you think that last piece you've said around those behaviours have you experienced or do you feel that actually with a brand like ServiceNow, global brand, it's all the execs, well, forget the countries, it's very similar human behaviours, uh, or is there a big disparity that actually we can't model our programmes for the US market to be the same as the UK versus France versus Germany versus LATAM? Are there similarities or is it just, has the world got bigger in terms of those changes and those, um, those behaviours or, is it, or has it come closer together because of the last few years, do you think? 
feel like if I had the complete answer to, to this, Steve, um, I would be the golden ticket to every marketer in, in well, the world. Well, that's what we were hoping. And then, you know, we'll put a pay gate on and we'll share the spoils. But yeah, just instinctively, you know, do you see having made that move that actually, okay, the ABM programs that I might have been working on, the marketing that was UK and Europe, does it feel so different where you are now or is it just people are people? Yeah. Honestly, um, in my experience, it's a balance of everything that that you mentioned. There are definitely um, regional nuances that need to be taken into account. Um, Culturally is is a big one. When you think about different cultures around the world and um, how you apply those through business and just through personal interactions can can really differ um, just by country, let alone uh, by some of the the bigger geographies in which those countries sit. I do see um, regional, uh, those kind of country, sorry, nuances. Um, There's definitely still elements of of language um, that need to be taken into consideration that actually I wouldn't say are barriers, but really are opportunities because I think each of us are, are seeking best practice. We're seeking for experience um, cross countries, cross uh, barriers, across industries to look at how do we apply interesting solutions to um, everyday challenges. Great example of this is actually I was speaking with some customers a couple of weeks ago and we've got one customer who's in um, the kind of aerospace field and another one who's in financial services. And you might think, well, what do these two have in common? Well, they both operate in highly regulated markets. So bringing those customers together and, and helping uh, create an environment where they could share and talk and learn from each other meant that they were able to share the impact of different types of regulations. They were able to problem solve with each other, share with each other in a really safe environment. Both of these um, organizations are headquartered in different countries. There is definitely different elements of of language within there. And yet they both came together and had an incredibly powerful conversation where they could share their experiences, they could provide that advice and and so on. So I think there are huge benefits to it. I think it's just a case of of being aware of those nuances and differences and creating an an environment where there um, there is an opportunity for those voices to come together. And when we think about uh, just diversity and inclusion in general, when you can bring that mix into any conversation um, in, a, in a business environment or in a personal environment, we see so much, um, we see so many great benefits from that dialogue and, and from that level of experience and, and diversity and everything that's doing and bringing it together. So I think the secret to marketers now is, is spotting opportunities to bring those diverse perspectives together to overcome um, barriers that potentially we'd seen before. And now the great thing is because we are uh, all at home or, or kind of traveling less, we potentially have more time and more flexibility in our schedules to be able to offer up um, ourselves or our executives in different time zones and and so on. And I think that's been part of the opportunity that's come from some of the challenges that we've seen over the past 18 months. I agree. And I think that those those leaders are being very generous in many cases with their time. And I'm I'm sure within your organisation, because they do want to learn from others, as you said, Gemma, it's a really good point that, you know, if you're a leader of a global business, you want to find out how other 
global mm. leaders are both reacting and they you might as you say brilliantly made point about have be a completely different industry but have shared challenges but i think it's interesting because there's a lot and i know it's a subject close to your heart that is going on at the moment but what happens if you know of your 50 top accounts they're all leaders so you bring them in a room and actually you don't get that diversity it is all too much the same um you know too similar in educational background too similar in cultural makeup have you tried shaking that up have you tried in any of your um sort of leadership forums bringing in different thought leaders from completely different industries or backgrounds or i'm just interested to know because it's sort of that part of that whole how do we get the best thinking from the hugest possible range of people we can yeah no absolutely diversity inclusion and belonging for us even just as an organization is is an absolute number one priority um, through our own workforce but also in providing our customers with safe spaces to be able to learn from from others um, we do that through lots of uh, different routes and channels. Some of it happens just organically because of the network that we have and, and the customers that we have access to. Some of that is also then through partnerships um, with third parties who can bring diverse perspectives. Um, we've actually got Angela Duckworth coming to, to join us very shortly with a, a small group of customers to talk about grit in the workplace because one of the things we hear our customers ask us all the time is how, how do I create not only the great experiences at work, but how do I manage the change program that goes along with that, thinking about the people and, and the process and how do we, we balance um, and bring the two together in a really cohesive way. And I think it is just finding ways to connect our audience with those experts in the field who can bring a different perspective, who can share experiences from research, from um, focus groups, steering committees, and, and so on, uh, not only makes the content really um, exciting and, and different, but brings a, a perspective that they're probably not used to hearing from a technology provider. Um, and I think it's a really interesting area now. I saw some research the other day, I think from um, ITSMA around how buyers uh, typically used to go to some, a lot of the large SIs for a lot of the thought leadership. And now they're really actually looking at the suppliers for it. So there's already been a shift in the last 18 months around how people and, and where people are going to, to consume this type of, of insight. So it's important that we that we provide our customers with what they're looking for. We give those diverse perspectives, but most importantly that we provide a, a platform for um, those perspectives and, and make it really accessible. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's almost the reverse of what you've, you've said around that kind of, you know, the, the insight and well-targeted, whether it's ABM or other flavors of marketing is you've got to get under the skin of B2B execs because they are, as you said, they, they're humans. They'll be mums, dads, uncles, aunts, sons, etc. They've, you know, they're not Lego characters that pop off different heads at different times of the day to be different people. They are the same beast. It's almost reverse, and it's interesting that, you know, that the the way that people go and research, they're now looking for suppliers that have got those same values as well. That 
they want to learn from people they can trust and they want to learn from people that are also human so there's a there's a two-way straight street here right Jamie? you've got to mark it out in a way that they'll understand but when they come looking for you and you don't always know they're looking that they mm -hmm. see decent human beings in an organization that speak their language that seem to have all of the the matching values and behaviors that they want from from their friends from their colleagues as well as from their suppliers absolutely and i think we've said it a few times but this whole idea of being authentic be authentic as as an individual be authentic as a company and be authentic as a partner and that's really where the trusted advisor status comes from and uh, people buy from people that they they like people buy from people that they trust um, and it's up to each and every one of us to establish those relationships, to make sure that we're authentic in, in every element of, of our pursuit, because everyone can see through it. And in today's world where our behaviors are changing, where we do have choice, where we do have the opportunity to change our path and, and direction, being authentic is, is really an area that's going to help us each stand out. Um, and that's that's where the relationships happen. And, and we know that great relationships also support businesses and advocacy, trust and, and so on. So, again, I, I make it sound really simple and I know it's not quite quite that simple, um, but a lot of the foundational pieces um, come from that authenticity, come from the diversity aspect. It's really then thinking about how do you tie those business imperatives that the customers care about most to the things that you as a supplier can can deliver on um, and seeding that through the messaging as the next layer down is, is really the critical and the pivotal point, as you say, depending on where they are in their buying cycle. Gemma, I, I want to pick up something you've mentioned, which is, to me is a, a foundation stone of, of trust, but it's not... You've mentioned it three times, um, perhaps without even realising. You talk about safe space or safe environment. And, and to me, I think there might be many people listening who that's perhaps a new way of thinking. I mean, it's been around as a, as a concept for a while. Um, there was some really interesting research done on it by, by Google, actually. But um, what, why are you referencing that quite as much as you are? And what do you mean by, by it? Yeah, great, great question. I think, again, when I think about almost the, the definition of trust, it's confidence in someone's integrity, in the honesty that, that they bring. Um, it's the belief that what someone is telling you or um, sharing with you is, is authentic. And we talk about circles of trust um, when we think about how we lead and, and manage people and, and teams. And uh, there's a number of great business books and, and things on the, the psychological benefits of building trust and, and circles of trust. And I think in, in business, when we think about what are the outcomes that we're trying to drive, especially with an executive audience where we are trying to create great experiences that matter. We're trying to create great experiences that drive an outcome. Um, trust is ultimately a way that we can measure our ability to be successful, I think, in that, in that relationship. So if I think about the work that I do right now at, at ServiceNow, I'm really focused on how do we 
number one, make things relevant to an executive audience. How do we craft content, conversations and experiences that are highly personalized and, and worthy of an executive's time and attention? And then on, how do I then make that consistent? So how do we create then consistent experiences, materials and, and engagement that really represents the ServiceNow brand? When I bring those two things together, that to me is where I can really highlight and, and create a trusted uh, trusted moment in time for, for a customer. And with that trust then comes that goodwill. And from that goodwill ultimately comes uh, a, a longer term commitment in terms of what we can do for a business. So when I'm tying it back into how we engage and, and how we win the hearts and minds of executive, it really does come back to making it relevant and making everything that we do consistent so that we do build that trusted uh, status and that we do have an, an open relationship where there is mutual and sustainable goodwill for not only our customers business but for our own as well does that, that make sense makes perfect sense yeah it's really really insightful and it's a balance again isn't it in terms of you know you, as you well recognize and maybe it, it harks back to a back in, in in your early days is just understanding how humans tick and, and being uh, decent and honest with it as well is you know your job is ultimately to help uh, indirectly or directly sell depending on how you want to look at it but it's not sell for the sake of sell it's to build and, and this is what you've always been excellent at all throughout is build uh, relationships and long-term relationships with them so it almost feels a natural home for you in terms of where you are well where you are now Gemma and, and we've got service now but I wonder if I can ask you about service next um, you know, we, we, we spoke as we started before we recorded, we, we had the pleasure of talking to Emma Garrett on an earlier episode and, and she kind of talked about her squiggly career um, and you feel almost the kind of antithesis of that. Very, you've always been very or seemingly very planned on your, what you're trying to do in the direction you're going. Uh, and I wonder whether you've, you've had time to think about, well, what comes next in, in, in the, where do you see yourself going in the next few years or the next chapter? Is it actually, do you know what, I'm going to continue to be that globally recognised ABM person, wherever I am within ServiceNow or maybe beyond, or is there a, is there a next chapter on the horizon, Gemma, when it comes to your, your carefully planned progress? Oh, I, I love that. I wish I could say it was um, as well planned and documented as I've clearly led everyone to, to believe. Well, you can say uh, that because we all believe it, so it's fine. <laughs> exactly. But it is, it's important to have direction. It's important to really think about um, your own personal priorities and, and how they align to the work that you do. I, I truly believe in always being purpose-driven um, in everything that I do. And that's because I, I want to enjoy work. I, I want to wake up most days and be excited about the work I have in front of me. And I, I want to leverage the skills that I'm learning in the workplace to make the world a better place. Um, I know that sounds quite cliche, but I think when you can combine the great skills you learn at work with passions and, and be able to use that and bring impact outside of work, it just brings a whole nother level to purpose in, in everything that, that we do. In terms of kind of planning, another, uh, I guess, wise phrase that this really stuck with me um, that I'd say, I came to a point halfway through my career where I realized that you can have it all in life, just not all at the same time. And there's definitely been some hard decisions I've had to make around how I want to prioritize different elements of my career, of my personal life. And moving to, to America was one of those. I've 
Um, I miss my friends and my family so much, but the opportunity for, for my career and, and to take all of the, the great work and experiences that I've had earlier on in my career and um, bring them to a new market and be really uh, consumed by doing things a slightly different way, learning a new way of doing things, learning about different um different states here in the in the US alone has, has been an amazing uh, honor and, and growth journey for me and myself as well. So I always say to people, have direction, set goals, write them down. There's a great stat that um, I think it's something like uh, you are, again, I, actually, I'm not going to quote it because I haven't got it completely right, but they have proven that if you do not write your goals down, um, you are significantly less likely to, to actually achieve them. So write them down. They might change, they might evolve, but, but have something to aim for and something to really focus on. Um, because as I say, you can have it all, just not all at the same time. So prioritize, think about the, the stepping stones to, to get to there. And you know what? Fail fast. Don't worry if it doesn't go in in the direction that you expect it to. Sometimes the best journeys and the best outcomes come from those moments in your career that are unexpected um, at that point in time as well. Oh, really wise words. And I think that, you know, the, the idea of having it all is one that, that, you know, lots of people debate, lots of leaders debate themselves and what that actually means. But um, not at the same time is, is immeasurably more achievable. And actually, I think you're right. You, you know, you don't, you know, I reflect and I've got a lot longer years to reflect back over Gemma. Um, but that, you know, you don't want things at different stages of your life. They're not the same things that you want. They're important. But there's a philosophy and I'm not going to pronounce it correctly. Um, but I think it's something you and I have touched on before. The Japanese philosophy of Ikiaji, which is where your passion and your purpose and your ability to earn money to do those things all come together. It's a, it's a very beautiful um philosophy really uh, but it certainly helps doesn't it if you can do things that you love doing and get paid to do them and be somewhere that you're you're meeting new challenges it all helps so what are the next challenges you've written down then Gemma what, what would you like to be you know learning next or setting yourself as a sort of a challenge to yourself what it's going to be and let me just interject whilst you're thinking about that, Gemma, a bit of thinking time. Um, I believe it's 42 percent more likely to achieve your goals if you write them down, according to the Dominican University in California, your homeland as it stands. So, uh, yeah, to your point, just to help you out with the stat, that's at least one of them. Maybe it wasn't the one you're thinking of, Gemma, but makes your point. So to Shane's question, you've written down where are we going next? What's on the list? Oh, there is so, so much on the list. Um, I'd say in, in no particular order, um, a number of my goals from personal to, to professional. Um, professionally, my, my leadership purpose is, is really about enabling uh, my own team, those I mentor and those around me to achieve their ultimate goals, to really have the opportunity to realize their own potential. Um, I, I love seeing people grow in development. It's, it's one of those areas that uh, I really pride myself on as a leader. I always uh, joke that my ultimate goal is to make myself redundant because I've been able to help each of my team members realize their own purpose and essentially they're then ready to take on, on my role and, and my job so I can go on to, to my, next, my next goal. So 
The next six months for me are, are really about um, focusing on my people. Um, it's been a really tough 18 months for each and every one of us. And I think we've all felt a little bit of that. So making sure that each of us are well balanced, that we are focusing on our own uh, mental health and, and well-being is a real focus right now. And there's some incredible tools and programs, applications and so on that can really help us achieve that as a team. My second big goal, uh, I've recently, um, we've recently brought together our ABM and executive programs team at, at ServiceNow. And what's really, really exciting about that is the opportunity to bring the power of these two incredible teams to, together and to really look at how do we become a trusted partner to the C-suite? How do we drive that mutual and sustainable value for everyone involved through account-based and white glove engagement? So building an innovative and trusted uh, community is uh, one of my own objectives that I'm looking to do here at ServiceNow, which is going to be incredible because... As we've talked about, there's been lots of pivotal points in, in my career where I've had the opportunity to, to build C-suite executive programs. And now I have the luxury of being able to pull it all together into one truly orchestrated and cohesive plan. So that's definitely going to keep me busy. And then the last uh, big one, I think, for me is to hopefully get home to see my family and friends soon when it's safe to, to do so. Um, as you know, the last six years, I've, I've traveled a, a lot for business. I've traveled to be on site with customers to really look at how uh, our platform and the work that we do is really impacting their businesses and, and to help them be successful. And then all of a sudden, I leave the UK, I jump on a plane, I move to a whole new country, I go into lockdown and I'm stuck at home for 18 months. Um, it's been a really surreal experience um, and has really taught me a lot about myself, how I focus, uh, how I can uh, get the best out of myself in terms of work. I was used to say to people, it's, it's super sad, but my kind of 11 hour flights between California and the UK were always work time for me. It was kind of a safe space with no Wi-Fi where I could really uh, get a ton of work done. And, and I really missed that at the beginning. So I had to find new ways to focus my attention and, and to uh, create that space um, to, to do work and to safely turn my Wi-Fi off and feel comfortable doing that so I could actually get some uh, work done. So yeah, they're three things that I'm, I'm focused on at the moment. And as I say, I'm, I remain flexible with a lot of my own goals and things because I recognize that the universe, the business, um, the team will, will throw different things at me and, and different opportunities. And I'm ready to say yes to all the, the great things that come as a, a result of that. There we are. You see, we knew you'd have a plan of some shape, but it, it's really nicely articulated, Gemma, because you've got that framework, the kind of direction of travel, but you're not so uh, blinkered on it that, as you say, you know, the world, as, as we've all learned in the last 18 months, the world can suddenly pull tricks on you or parts of your world close or far away. So it's having that flexibility, that fleet of foot to change as well. Um, you've also got, as you say, you've got to find a safe space to do work, and this isn't it. We've we've taken a lot of your time, which we're incredibly grateful for. But I wonder if I can ask one final question of you. Uh, as you know, what we've learned is the name of this podcast, and I just wonder, from what you've said, if you were to go back to your to yourself back at the grammar school doing your international baccalaureate or the early stages of university, is there anything you would you tell yourself that you've learned now back then, or or indeed? 
would there be anything you'd change if you could rewind? I wonder if one of either of those is, is a pertinent question for us to end on. Oh, there is so much uh, different advice I would give to myself on, on reflections. Um, I always wish I'd studied harder, done, done different things, um, the kind of the same old. I think for me, it, it really kind of is the, the realization. I wish I hadn't been so hard on myself um, so early in my career. I wish I'd given myself a break. Um, I still do, even to this day, get myself stuck in what we call thinking traps. So I overanalyze everything and anything that, that happens. And I wish I'd learned earlier on in, in my career and earlier on uh, when I was at school to really let go of those moments and look at failure as success in progress um, and not overanalyze each of those moments in time. So I think I would go back to my younger self and say, don't stress too much about this, this essay or, or this score and um, see this as an opportunity to learn something, to thrive. And this is just part of, part of a bigger journey. Well, there we are. Some really, really lovely stuff from Gemma. Thank you, Gemma. So on a journey, Shane, as she said, lots and lots achieved already, as we signposted at the start of this podcast, but an awful lot more to come, I'm sure. And I think one of the most interesting things is being in ABM before ABM was even a thing. Yes, I think it's interesting, isn't it, how your career can take you in a direction if you're in the right place at the right time. And when a category like ABM, account-based marketing, started it, it wasn't called that you know we for those of us who've, who've always done you know key account work whether it's key account sales or key account marketing um when abm came along it was it was just lovely to have it really codified and become a professional discipline which is definitely what it's become and i think it's a a really great learning for us all is that if you're in a space that's growing fast early like Gemma it can take you a very long way very quickly. Mm, over thousands and thousands of miles to a new home in the Bay Area absolutely and and you know not only has she traveled with the job um, in geographical terms Shane but I think what's really lovely about Gemma is she's done a lot as we said in, in, in relatively short space of time but she she makes a really nice case for anyone listening in that you can you can take transferable skills to other markets so you know not just working in Europe but working overseas in the US in this case which I know Shane you can relate to from your time over there um, but also that classic agency client side can I work client side and be relevant to agency and vice versa and of course Gemma's done both. Absolutely and I think that to me Gemma's an exemplar of being a fabulous networker. I mean, she is great at it. She's really good and generous with her connections and sharing her learning. She, she speaks quite a lot, which we didn't really talk about. She learns from others and she passes those learners on. She's a real giver in her knowledge. And also, I, I really feel, you know, she's, she's the person who seizes the day. She seizes those opportunities, um, which is just great and it's a great energy to have and it does take you a long way. It does indeed. I think the, the only thing that I'm not sure I agree with Gemma on is when I get to 11 hour flight, I don't like to take my laptop out. I like to sit with the gin and tonic and maybe per peruse a movie or two, but perhaps that's the difference between the two of us that she's, uh, she's thinking it's her time. She can get on and work and use that time. Perhaps as you've traveled as much as Gemma has over the last few years, you've watched every movie and therefore it is time to work. 
So Gemma, look, thanks so much for to you for making time for us. As, as we've Shane and I have said, very busy person, and we really appreciate her wrestling with time zones to be able to talk to us uh, just now. So that was excellent. I hope you've enjoyed that. Shane, thank you as ever to you, uh, and thank you for listening in. Loads more episodes you can go and enjoy. Go to wwlpodcast.co.uk. That will take you to our LinkedIn home where you can see chat on this and any other episode you can also find us on spotify on apple on acast on google basically all of the good and some of the not so good platforms that podcasts are on what we've learned will be there and we hope to see you there soon in the meantime thanks everybody